So it's going to be Mark uh, 7, 24 through 37, and Mark 8, 14 through 25. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know. Yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. And she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. And the demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child laying in bed and the demon gone. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of Decapolis. And they brought to him a man was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephah, that is, be opened, and his ears were open, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And then were astonished beyond measure, saying, he, was, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. And now they meaning the disciples, had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of the Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember, when I broke the five loaves of 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Twelve. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Seven. And he said to them, Do you not yet understand And they came to Bethesda, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly, and he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. Awesome. Thank you, Lincoln. You can be seated. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this chance to be together, and we thank you for the word uh, that you have given to us. God, we're 
amazed time and time again at your grace, at your kindness, at your wisdom. And even as we come uh, to see what Jesus had to teach his disciples uh, on this occasion, God, we're amazed uh, that, you get, that we get to participate in these same teachings. God, may the same miracles that Jesus worked that uh, time while he was here on this earth, God, may those same miracles be taking place in our hearts through the power of your Holy Spirit. Because, God, you, you know how desperately we need you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. I, uh, I have a, a, a running dad joke I like to use. That are just, This is just free of charge. Dad, you can take this and use this anytime you want. Uh, I use this with my kids. Uh, if I've done this once, I've done it a hundred times. I do it when they're taking a bath. And you know, at some point, they'll lay down in the water where their ears are below the water. And so I'll be talking to them. And as soon as they lay down with their ears below the water, I start you know, mouthing like that. And, uh, and for the first at least dozen times, it's kind of, they kind of got onto it now, but for the first dozen times, they look at me real funny, and then they kind of sit up and they bring their ears above the water. I'm like, Lois, Micah, can you hear me? And they're like, yeah. And then they put their head under the water and I, you know, see, I mean, they laugh just as much as you do. Yeah, it's great. Uh, and I have found this is a pretty much a, a universal thing. I, I've done it with foster kids on like the very first day. I've met them in English and in Spanish, and they always laugh. It's great. So dads, feel free to take that and use that uh, as you want. Uh, that that if you your kids will just think that's that's amazing. Trying trying to listen underwater. We we know it does work. You can you can shout loud enough and it travels through water. But water water does muffle your ears where you can't hear it. And that reminds me a little bit of something Jesus said to the disciples in Mark 8, 18. He says, do you have eyes, but you cannot see? You have ears, but you cannot hear. That'd be like the experience of my kids if they actually couldn't hear me. They, if their ears are underwater, they have ears. Physically, their, their ears work. And yet, if it actually worked this way, the water is keeping them from actually being able to hear my voice. This morning's passage, as we heard some of the miracles and teachings that Jesus gave in Mark 7 and 8, is all around this, this idea of spiritual blindness and spiritual deafness. He physically heals some that are blind and deaf and heals a, a little girl who has a demon possession so that you and I, all these years later, would see who Jesus is and the, the, the healing that He can bring to us. And not just physically, but in a much deeper and more important way, spiritually. Because if we're honest with ourselves, all of us have eyes, we have ears, but there are so many times, if we're honest, that we don't see Jesus for who He is. We don't hear Him for who He is. And we don't listen to what He has to say to us. It's already mid-December, which means Christmas is edging closer and closer. If you got a lot of things on your shopping list still, I don't mean to like make you nervous and anxious right now, but it's getting closer and closer to Christmas. And this whole fall, we've been reading through Mark, and we're getting closer and closer to where we'll be next Sunday when Peter proclaims the same thing that the angel proclaimed to Jesus about Jesus on the day he was born, that this is the Christ. Peter is finally going to get it. We're getting closer and closer to that. And as we edge closer and closer to that, we've got to understand what what, what keeps us from, from being able to say the same thing Peter did? What's, what's the problem that needs to be addressed? Left on our own, by ourselves, we can't see Him for who He is. Our ears can't hear what He has to say to us. We need somebody 
to come and to open our eyes and to open our ears so that we can listen to Jesus. Our passage today is filled with Jesus performing miracles of physical healing. And the point of that is to help us see our need for that same miracle, a miracle on our hearts to heal us and help us to have eyes to see and ears to hear. In Mark 7, 24, it opens uh, from that, that passage and the next one about two different healings that Jesus does. And in both of these cases, uh, we'll see that there's an, there's an example here for us to follow. And that example is this, come to Jesus for healing. When you're seeing your needs and the things you have going on, th- this is where you need to go, to Jesus. That may seem obvious, that may seem duh, but think about what you do when you have a problem. You Google it, you call your friend, you call somebody who's gone through it, whatever else, you know. And, and God certainly can use Google to answer your questions, you know. He can certainly use all kinds of good things. I, I think it's a good idea to go to the doctor when you're sick, you know. So I'm not saying don't do those things. But remember, even Google, even your doctor, these are gifts from the Lord. Do we start with coming up with a plan for on our own, or do we start with prayer? Do we start with prayer and then leave prayer? Or do we depend on God all the way through, no matter what the issue is? When we have a problem, we got to remember Jesus is the solution. When you need help, where do you turn? And all, all three, there's three different healings that happen in Mark 7 and 8 and our, our portions of them today. And all three times, somebody begs. It's the same word. They beg to be healed all three times. It's a persistent plea. Could you describe your prayers that way? That you are begging, pleading, shamelessly on your knees, begging Jesus to come and to solve what we're going through. Begging is not not a a beautiful thing. It's not not an arrogant thing. It's not something that that, uh, makes you look good. Begging is saying, I can't solve this and you can. And all three times they come and they beg. It's admitting a need. It's begging for help, pleading for Jesus to come and to solve it. Like any 12-step program, the first is always admitting we have a problem. And that's what begging is. The first person that that we encounter is this woman who it says is Syrophoenician. And I had to Google how to pronounce that, so I'm impressed Ligon got that one. That was good. Uh, I didn't give him any wisdom. But it just means that she's from, from Phoenicia. Uh, which is, the, the important part of that means she's not Jewish. She, she's a Gentile. She is from outside of Israel. Jesus, everywhere he's gone in Israel, has been swamped with crowds. And so he comes now to this Gentile area, but even there his reputation has gone before him. And so she comes to Jesus because she has a daughter who has an unclean spirit. That is, she is uh, affl- afflicted by a demon. And I've been reading through this book on, from Tim Keller and, and listening to sermons from him on the, the Gospel of Mark. I highly recommend the book called Jesus is the King. And uh, he comments about this woman, or you know, he says about this, that there are different kinds of people in the world, right? There are people who are kind of timid and afraid, people who are courageous, you know, kind of everywhere in between. And then there's parents, you know? Like if a parent decides their child needs something, or a grandparent, there is no stopping them, right? Like, it doesn't matter what has happened. If your grandchild, your daughter, your baby girl, your little boy needs something, you'll do anything, including begging at the feet of somebody who you know can help. 
Jesus gives this, stops and addresses this woman. And his, his reply to her begging is one of the strangest things Jesus says in the Gospels, at least by my you know, observation of that. He says in verse 27, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. That's odd, right? Well, his, his point is, is simply about chronology, about the, the, the Savior was coming to the, to the Jews first, but not staying there, going also to the Gentiles, it's just later. Same thing is said in Romans 1.16. Paul writes, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also the Greek. So the Messiah came through the Jewish people, through into the nation of Israel, and then sent out to the rest of the world. And so Jesus, during his lifetime, primarily ministered to the people of Israel, the Jews. But the plan all along was then for it to spread from there. And so that's, what, that's the thing he's saying. But it kind of sounds harsh, doesn't it? I mean, this is kind of a, a parable of sorts, like a one-sentence parable. He compares his food. Food is compared to the gospel message. Children is compared to the Jewish people. Dogs compared to Gentiles. And, and you have to know that, I mean, even today, calling somebody a dog probably doesn't sound great. Uh, but back then, they didn't have like little, you know, pure breed dogs. There's no ch- chihuahuas, you know, like it, the dogs were, were, were kind of unclean, ravishing animals that kind of scoured about for food. So this was not necessarily a compliment. Uh, but why, why would Jesus speak that way to this woman? I think what he's doing is he's, he's testing her. He's, he's pushing her a little bit for our sake and for hers. She remarkably doesn't get offended. And that in and of itself is probably a sermon, right, all by itself. We, you and I, we, we are so, I'm so easily offended. Here's Jesus pushing back a little bit, and she doesn't throw up her hands and say, well, you're going to call me that. I'm like, no, she, she's there for, for a reason. And so he has pushed her a little bit, but instead of getting offended, she accepts the parable and says this in verse 28, yes, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. She's saying, that's fine. I know you are the Lord. I know you came to the Jews first, but you're coming to the Gentiles eventually, and I need you right now. She's saying, whatever you want. So Jesus pushed a little bit, and her faith met the test. Her faith met the test. She is begging boldly for healing, and there's nothing that's going to stop her. And that reminds me of the, the Jesus giving the parable of the persistent widow, knocking, pleading for an answer. Where do you go? Do you plead like this? Or does the slightest hint of something that may be offensive lead you off track? And you run away. Run away from the church. Run away from Christians. Run away from people who love you because I, I didn't like the way they did that. Or do you plead and say, God, I, I want healing. I want to seek you no matter what. There's some similarities in the second person who is healed. Again, someone was begging for help, for healing in verse 32. But this time... It's not the person who needs it. It's all the people around that person. This was a deaf man who had a speech impediment. And a whole group of people come to Jesus begging for this man to be healed. How about that? Somebody is begging for somebody else to be healed. Sometimes we need to come to Jesus pleading on our own behalf. God, I have a problem and I need you to fix it. And I know only you can fix it. Sometimes we need to come and beg for ourselves. But I think there's a lesson here that sometimes we need to come and beg for others. Jesus, this is somebody I love. This is somebody who's in desperate need of help. And if you don't show up, if you don't heal them, they're not going to be healed. We plead and we beg for our healing. And we plead and we beg for others' healing. 
This is a powerful description of community. It happens again in Mark 8, 32. The, the blind man we'll see at the end. The community, other people beg on his behalf. Here's a man who, in, in, in Mark 7, who can't speak uh, and he can't hear. And they're pleading for him. Maybe you need to come to Jesus for yourself. Maybe you need to come for somebody else. And probably most likely both are true. That we all need healing. Faith is certainly individual. Everybody has to have their own faith. You can't have a relationship with Jesus just because somebody else you know loves Jesus, right? We all have to love Jesus on our own. But the, the, the cultures of the Bible did a little bit better job than our culture does naturally of, of being community-oriented. And here's a beautiful picture of that. They're a family that are coming to Jesus together. It's a powerful example of community. And Jesus takes that man, this man who was brought by a community, and he heals him. And when he does verse 37, it says, They were astonished beyond measure, saying, He does all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. They're all amazed at this amazing miracle that he had done. I think Mark intended for his original hearers to hear an echo of some things from the Old Testament. Isaiah 35 5 and 6 says, this is prophesying about a coming day. It says, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. So when Jesus heals like this, when the blind see, when the lame walk, when, when those who can't hear and the deaf can now hear, He's saying, the Messiah is here. He's proclaiming who He is and telling them, about who he is and what he's, what he's come to do. Hey, have you ever thought about Jesus' miracles, about why he did the certain things he did? And this is a great example from Isaiah 35, but it, what was Jesus trying to do with his miracles? You could say in some sense they're about his power, right? Showing the power that he has. And that's certainly the case, but it's not just random or raw power. If Jesus was just coming to earth to show you that he was powerful, I think it would look more like a Marvel comic movie, right? They're flying around, they're shooting fireballs and picking up buildings and throwing them into the ocean, you know. He could have, he, Jesus could have displayed power if it was just about random raw power. He could have done that any number of ways. But what did Jesus come to do? What kind of miracles did he do? He, he made the blind see, he made the lame walk, he made the deaf hear, he fed the hungry, he took a, a, a storm and calmed it. What's he doing? He's making the current world look like it was created to be, right? In the Garden of Eden, nobody was hungry. Everybody could hear, everybody could see, everybody could speak. There weren't no storms. So Jesus' power, Jesus' miracles aren't, aren't random. They're, they're pointing backwards to the way the world was meant to be. And they're pointing forwards too, aren't they? To the way the world will be. Jesus has come and He's bringing a healing to us that we, we all need. We need the world to be like it used to be and how one day it will be. Jesus is coming and He is showing who He is. He is the creator of the world. He's the sustainer right now. And He is the one to whom the whole world's going to go in the end. But ultimately, we're all going to be with Him. You see, when we realize we have a problem, our real needs, not just like, you know, the things we come up with, like, oh, my iPhone's out of date, you know. But, I mean, like your real, your real problems. The real, those real problems are things that weren't meant to be there in the garden. And they're not going to be there in the end, in the new heaven and new earth. And that's what Jesus is coming. He's showing by His miracles what He has come to do. This power that He has on display is not, 
not random. It has a purpose. It's showing us who He is. He has come, and He's come to bring healing, a specific kind of healing. And do you notice how He did it, as Ligon read that a minute ago? This passage has so many weird pieces in it, right? We could be here all day, but I promise to have you out by four. Um, yeah. Uh, verse 33, listen to the way Jesus healed this man. Jesus says He put His fingers to this man's ears, and after spitting, touched the man's tongue, Looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Epaphatha, so I'll, yeah, maybe, anyway, uh, that is, be opened, and his eyes were opened, and his tongue released, and he spoke plainly. What is Jesus doing, right? In the miracle before, Jesus said, your, your daughter is well. She wasn't even around. We have no idea how far away the, the little girl was that he healed, but he just spoke a word, and the girl was healed far away. So Jesus now takes this man who is mute and has, uh, uh, he can't hear, and he has a speech impediment. And this time he, he touches. He, he spits in his hand and touches the guy's ears. Touches what, what is he doing? Well, imagine what that day was like for the man who was about to be healed. He's got a crowd around him who's making motions at him, right? And, and pulling him along. You know, maybe, maybe they've, I don't know what sign language was like in the first century world, but I imagine it was a little bit confusing. Right? So they get this guy to this man, and here's a stranger that he's never met. And they, they push him toward him. And this guy's looking up at Jesus like, what, you know, what am I doing here? And Jesus, it says, he takes him to the side, away from the crowd, privately. And then what is he doing? He's, he, he's working kind of a, a sign language to this man. He's motioning to him what he's about to do. Even the spit, the, the ancient world had kind of a, uh, they thought spit of a powerful person kind of contained their power. Jesus didn't need to use spit. But what he's trying to do is he's trying to use what he has to communicate to this man, I'm here to help. I'm here to heal you. If he just spoke a word and he was healed, the man wouldn't have heard the word until he was healed. So he's explaining what's about to happen. He looks up to heaven. He's saying, I'm, I'm from God, and I've come to heal you. Jesus is the Son of God. He's making all things right, and he's so compassionate. This is a tender shepherd who has come to heal us, to make things right. This is one who loves us and cares for us. And His miracles, all the power that He does, it's unique. None of the miracles are repeated exactly the same way. They're all a little bit different because they're all specific to a unique individual. That's, that's the shepherd I want to go to. That's the kind of God I, I, I want to love. I can't imagine what He thinks of all of us and the way He knows us and meets our needs individually. Come to this Jesus. Know this Jesus. Rely on Him for your healing because He loves you and He cares for you and His healing that He's offering is specific. Where, where do you go with your problems? Who do you depend on? Come to Jesus to bring healing. But some of us, we have a little bit different issue. It's not that we go to the wrong places to be healed. It's not that we go to the wrong places for, to, when we've got problems. The problem is we don't know we have a problem. You know what I mean? And the disciples, I think, illustrate this very well for us. Here's, here's something I want you to not miss in this passage, something I don't want you to, uh, to ignore. Don't be blind to your blindness. Don't be blind to your blindness. As we see the, the miracles, the healings that He did right in the middle is this account, and I got Ligon to skip over a part of it for the sake of time. But in the middle is this account with the disciples. 
And what, we don't, what they don't realize is these people who realize they need help, they come begging for help. But the disciples and the Pharisees will see they're blind that they are blind. They don't know that they need help. Some of us are like the Gentile woman's daughter who are plagued by an evil spirit. And we understand, we're coming, Jesus, help me. Some of us are blind. Some of us know we, we, can't, we can't see Jesus and we're coming, we're begging for help. But others of us think we're doing just fine. Thank you. I don't need any help. In Mark 8, 11 to 13, these infamous Pharisees make another appearance. And of course, again, they're clueless. They come and they argue with Jesus. What? Surely by now, they recognize you're not going to win. Why argue with him? But they come and they try. They ask for a sign. They're trying to test him. But Jesus is not like a, a magician. You just pay, you know, and you get a sign, a miracle. That's not, we just talked about the purpose. That's not the point. Pharisees, they miss it. Okay, so we think Pharisees, of course they miss it. But as you've, if you've been with us in Mark, I keep pointing out these times where Mark sandwiches two things together. He'll put something in the middle of two other things. So there's an example with the disciples. Disciples in the middle of the Pharisees, he's saying these go together. Just as bad as the Pharisees are, so are the disciples. And in the middle of that account, Jesus looks up and he gives this heavy sigh, this frustration. And I think what's going on is he's saying, these people of anybody should have gotten it. The Pharisees, they get the Old Testament. They, they know this book backwards and forwards. They understand the scriptures. The disciples are literally in the boat with him. They're following him around. And yet they don't get it as much as these people who have physical problems and are coming and asking for healing. The point is that the disciples, they're clueless. They're blind to their blindness. And if Jesus wanted to point it out any more clearly, I don't know how he could have. In Mark chapter 8, they come and he does a repeat miracle. Now the details change. It's unique to this situation. But if you go back to Mark chapter 6, it's one of the most famous miracles. It's one in all four Gospels. Jesus feeds 5,000 people, plus 5,000 men it says, maybe plus women and children. Does anybody remember how many loaves he's got? Five loaves. How many fish? Two fish, right? It's one of the most famous miracles of all four Gospels. They all have the same numbers, right? You and I can remember that. The disciples, surely they could remember that, right? And even later in the chapter, they remember the details, but they've forgotten the point. They've forgotten the point. In Mark chapter 8, it's like a replay. It's like putting, going back and re-watching, but the details are a little bit different. Again, they're in a desolate place, just like God helping the people in the wilderness in Egypt, and God brings manna from heaven. So Jesus is in a wilderness again, and again the people are hungry, and He says to them, we, we gotta, I've got compassion. It's the same word shows up both places. I've got compassion. I want to feed them. And the disciples, it's just unbelievable. They say in verse 4, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? Come on, disciples. You're, you're worried about how they're going to eat? You, you got Jesus. You got Jesus. They're blind. And they're blind to the fact that they are blind. Jesus, again, performs a miracle, this time with seven loaves and a few small fishes, blesses it, divides it up, feeds everybody, and there's plenty left over. Verse 8 says, They were eight and were satisfied, and they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. Okay, now the disciples will get it, right? He's done the feeding thing twice. There's been abundance left over. They'll get it now, right? Nope. Still don't get it. They get in a boat after they talk to the Pharisees, and they start arguing. Because they, for those seven baskets of bread, they left them on the shore. These guys, man, they're really nailing it, aren't they? They got 12 guys plus Jesus, so 13, and they have one loaf of bread. <laughs> and they're arguing about 
who forgot the bread? And we don't have enough. Jesus is in the boat, and they're worried about going hungry. The same boat, the same sea where there was a storm, and he calmed the storm. The same Jesus who fed all these people. They're blind that the Savior is right there, and they're missing it all together. Jesus calls them out. He says, and this is what I mentioned at the beginning. He said, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not perceive or understand or your hearts heartened? Having eyes do you not see? Having ears do you not hear? Jesus himself, he is the bread of life. He is the one who satisfies. The people who had a physical problem, like not being able to, to speak or hear, the people, the woman, little girl who had a demon uh, possession, her mom, they, they got it. Jesus is the answer. But the disciples are in a boat and they're holding one loaf of bread and they're going, I don't know what the answer is. They're blind to their blindness. They don't, they don't even recognize that they don't, they don't get it. These 12 guys who follow Jesus around, surely they're the ones who are most likely to get it, right? And yet, they are the ones who miss it. There's, there's a, a very poignant, very direct, very challenging message to that. Because I'm speaking to people who are around Jesus. You're, you're in church. You're watching church online. You're sitting in a church building. Like the disciples, you are around Jesus. And so the disciples are proving to us over and over again in the Gospels, it's possible to be around Jesus and to be totally blind to Him. And the most dangerous part is that we can be blind to the fact that we're blind. Not just that we can't see Him, but we don't know that we can't see Him. The disciples are thinking, of course we're, we're on the in crowd. We're, we're the ones going with Him everywhere He goes. And yet, they're the ones who miss it. You know, 2021 is, is, is looking up, I think, maybe. We'll see. I don't know. I'm optimistic. But they tell us this, this pandemic's going to be over, maybe middle of next year. We're going to figure out whatever, you know. But let me just say this. If, if you get, if, if you go into 2021 just as self-reliant as you entered 2020, then you've missed a, grin, a great opportunity. 2020 has been so humbling that we don't have it all figured out, that there's so many things in this world that are broken that we, we can't fix, that we, we need a Savior. <laughs> if, you, if you need a message for 2020, it's we, we need a Savior. His name is Jesus. And if you go through 2021 and the pandemic is over and you, you don't know that any better than you know now, now then we've, we've missed an opportunity. The disciples, they had every opportunity and praise God, 11 of them get it. You know, so we'll, you know the end of the story. They, they, most of them figure it out. But they're right here in the middle. And there's a challenge to us to be careful. To be careful not to be near Jesus and miss Him all together. Don't be blind to your blindness. And that brings us to the last miracle in Mark 8 that we're covering today. And this miracle is unique. It's only in Mark. It's not in the other, other Gospels. And it's one of the craziest. Because it looks like Jesus fails. The first time Jesus performs this miracle, it looks like he fails. Again, the community is involved. As we mentioned, the community is bringing this man to Jesus. They are begging on his behalf. This man is blind and he can't see. And they're trying to help him. Again, there's compassion, Jesus says. He's, he touches him. He even uses spit again. He's, he's communicating in a way that this man can understand. He's blind. He wouldn't understand what's going on. And so, so Jesus is, is, is using, he's touching, and he's talking to him so he can understand what's going on. 
He spits, he lays his hand on him, and then it says, verse 24, it says, he, he looked up and said, all right, verse 23, Jesus asked him, do you see anything? And this blind man, the man who was blind, verse 24 says, he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. So you get what's going on there, right? Like he, he goes from blackness, just totally black, to fuzzy. I, I see there's people, but they, I can't see clearly. <coughs> they look like trees and they're, they're walking. What, what in the world is going on here? Did Jesus lose some of his power along the way? Like his spit wasn't as strong, he wasted it on the last guy, right? No, that, I mean, Jesus has healed remotely. Like long, he's done long-distance healing. So it's not, it's not a matter of his power. Remember that details in a miracle are, are about that unique individual and about telling us a parable. You see, Jesus is healing, but he's also telling us a story. And this one, I, this one is, is powerful to me because it's a story about how we are healed spiritually. If you know that you're spiritually blind, then here's, here's what we've got to do. Ask Jesus to open your eyes to see and to see clearly. Ask Jesus to open our eyes to see and to see clearly. It, it, it's worth coming to Jesus once for Him to heal you and to come back again and again and again and again. Verse 25, after He, he healed him one time and He could see, kind of, it was kind of blurry, it says in verse 25, Then Jesus laid His hands on again and He opened His eyes and His sight was restored and He saw everything clearly. So at Jesus' first touch, he gets partial sight. and the second touch, he gets clarity. The point of this parable is about faith. This miracle, this parable is about faith. And especially the disciples themselves at this point. Because they get some things they can see, but to them, Jesus is like a man walking, like, like a tree walking. They don't quite see. And this is such a helpful category to me. Most, most of us, when we think of salvation, we think of the Paul-type story. He was Saul, becomes Paul. You may know that story from Acts chapter 9. Jesus, Saul was persecuting Jesus, or persecuting the Christians. He, he did not like Christians. And he's on the road to Damascus. And Jesus shines a bright light in his face. And within a couple days, the man goes from trying to kill Christians to preaching Christianity. Right? That's a category we understand for salvation. That I once was blind, now I see. I was dead, now I'm alive. But sometimes it doesn't happen overnight. And that's confusing. Many times it does. And some of you have those kind of stories of I was this way on this date and on the next day I was different. And when you have stories like that, man, praise God for that. But have you ever thought about how Peter was saved? When, when was Peter? Peter saved. We, we know how Paul was saved. Acts chapter 9, we, we see that. When was Peter saved? Maybe it was when Jesus called him out of the fishing boat and he said, Peter, follow me. Simon Peter, follow me. Peter leaves everything behind and follows Jesus. Is that salvation? Looks pretty good, right? But then maybe he doesn't quite get it. And, and we're going to see next week. He says, people say, you know, who do I say? Who do you say that I am? Peter says, you are the Christ. And Jesus says, amen. Like, okay, maybe that's the moment. Well, the very next paragraph after that, Jesus has to rebuke Peter, and he tells to Peter, get behind me, Satan. He calls him Satan, like Satan working through this man. Can he be saved in that? I don't know. At the end of Jesus' life, Peter denies Jesus three times. And we know Jesus tells us that if you're ashamed of me before the Father, then I'll be ashamed of you. Is Peter saved then? 
Well, then after the resurrection, Jesus comes to Peter at the, at the, the, beside the lake and he reinstates him. He asks him three times, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Maybe that's the moment he's saved. Or, or maybe it's the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit falls on Peter and Peter preaches and 3,000 people come to know Jesus. When was Peter saved? I don't know. But it was somewhere in there, wasn't it? I don't know about you. Maybe you've got a, a Paul story. I've got a little bit more of a Peter story. I grew up in church. When I was eight, I made a profession of faith. You know how well I could see Jesus at eight? He looked like a tree walking. You know what I mean? I didn't understand. I didn't know what I was doing, but I, I, I genuinely believe it was faith. But could I go back? and I, I don't know. Man, in middle school, my life was up and down all over the place. I can blame my own hormones or whatever else, you know, but I was all over the place. I had some great moments. But then crazy, you know what I mean? When, when's the moment? I don't know. And sometimes we don't. But here's the thing. If Jesus has, has given you partial sight, if you're, if you're on the track, if, you're, if you can see kind of, then, then why not come back to Him again? Why not keep begging, keep asking, keep asking Him to save us? That This category of being able to see and then see clearly is really helpful to me in personally understanding my own story. But it's also helpful to me pastorally because a lot of times when I talk to you, when I talk to other Christians, I, I see people who are kind of somewhere in between. You can see, but not fully clearly. You know what I mean? I, I feel like that way so many times, and so many other people do too. Some people, they, they know all the facts about Jesus, right? And you wouldn't know that if somebody hadn't showed, if, you didn't have, if your eyes hadn't been opened. But some people just don't have that, that fire yet. You're not on fire for the Lord. You're not passionate for Him. You're kind of lukewarm. Are they a Christian or not? Well, I, I mean, they know some things. They, they, they believe some things. They tell me the right answers. But there's not that, hmm, Jesus is the greatest treasure to me. I don't know if they can see or not. Maybe they just see like people are like trees walking. Other people I know are on fire sometimes, and sometimes they walk away. Maybe many of you have got children with stories like that where you, you were on fire at one point. Now can they see? Can they not? I don't know. Maybe they just see and people look like trees walking. People can seem like Christians one day and unsure the other. But maybe these people are like Peter, like this man who's partially blind still. What do, what do we do with that? Well, Martin Lloyd-Jones was a, a famous preacher, and he, he preached an incredible passage, sermon on this passage. And uh, he gives four, four recommendations. His, his first is, don't rush to proclaim that you can see when you can only partially see. Be really careful. If you can only see partially, just say that. Just, just be honest. But on the other hand, don't be discouraged if you can only partially see. This man could partially see, but the full answer was coming just, just a minute later. And so be honest with yourself and with Jesus. Imagine what would have happened. I mean, this man has just been brought and thrown at Jesus' feet. Not really, you know, brought before Jesus' feet. And Jesus does this miracle. If I was that man and Jesus asked me, can you see? But I can only partially see. There would be part of me that wouldn't want to offend him, right? Part of me that wouldn't want to say, uh, <clears throat> it didn't, didn't work, Jesus. Like, there would be part of you that would say, I, I, yeah, Jesus, I can see. I can see Jesus. And he wouldn't be lying because he could kind of see. But if he'd have done that, then he, he wouldn't have gotten healed again. We can't be blind to our blindness or blind to our partial blindness. Let's just be honest with Jesus and keep asking 
us, asking Him to heal us, fully submit to Him. Maybe you know some of the right answers. Maybe you got some of the things figured out, but be honest when you don't have it all figured out. And keep coming to Him for healing. Keep coming over and over again. Because all of us may be able to see a little bit, but none of us can see it all. None of us can fully understand who Jesus is. So keep coming to Him over and over again, asking that He would open your eyes to see and to see clearly. This man and his, his reply back to Jesus and the, the woman at the beginning, the, the Gentile woman, they remind me of, of Jacob in Genesis 32. You may know that story where God shows up to him and somehow physically, you know, we don't have this, I don't know what this looked like, but physically God wrestled with Jacob. All night long, he wrestled with him. And it says, Jacob, Jacob told this, he didn't know he was God at the time, but he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. I mean, you could just picture all night long, just wrestling, wrestling, wrestling with him. He said, I'm not going to let you go. I, I, I'm begging for you to bless me. So the Gentile woman did. That's what this blind man did. They said, I, I need you. I need you, and I know I need you. So I'm not stopping asking until you heal me. Don't settle for halfway. Don't settle for just partially seeing. Don't settle for just seeing people that look like trees walking. Keep coming to Jesus, asking Him to heal and make you see and see clearly. Because He can open your eyes. He has the power to do it. And He has the love for you to do it. Ask that He would bring light. Come to Jesus, acknowledging you're blind, asking for healing, and asking Him to open your eyes that you can see.